Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church. After reading the passage, we'll hear the children's talk. So if you have children, make sure they're listening. And then we'll go to the sermon. And so let's hear the reading of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Archaea. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Archaea, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Okay, hello everyone. I've got a few things here, and I need you to tell me what am I supposed to do with them. Okay, what am I supposed to do? What is this, Hannah? It is a wooden spoon. Wooden spoon. Now, am I supposed to play drums with a wooden spoon? Is that what I'm supposed to do with it? No? Hmm, okay. What am I supposed to do with a wooden spoon? Yeah, is it? Cook with it? Do I put it in the pot and let it stew? No? What is it? Oh, I use this to stir things while I'm cooking. Oh, okay. That's what I do. All right, what is this? Yes, Kai? Monopoly deal. Here is a card game. Some of you might not have played this before. It's a bit of fun. It's better than the normal Monopoly. Card game Monopoly, so much better than board game Monopoly. What are you supposed to do with Monopoly deal? What do you do with it? Play. That's exactly right. You are supposed to play Monopoly deal. Exactly. Good. You guys are very clever. I have something else here. I have a book. That's right. I have a book. Am I meant to put that on my head? No. Is that a hat? I'm supposed to read it. Supposed to read a book, am I? Supposed to open it up and read it. Okay. Very interesting. Hmm. 
hmm, you guys know what we're supposed to do with a whole lot of things. Over the last few weeks, or months even, we have been learning a story. We've been learning that we have a message to share. Okay, And we've been looking at the story of the Bible and we've gone from the very start of it and we've gone all the way through and we've seen the big storyline of the Bible. Okay, We saw, firstly, that God, he's got the crown because he's the king and he made the world, he made it good, he's the ruler of the world and he made us, he made people in his image. That's what we learned in our first and second weeks. God made the world and he's the king of the world and God made us in his image and he made us special. And then in our third week, what did we do here? Can you remember? What, what, what does that picture say? Hannah? We crossed out God, that's right. We rejected God. Do you know what that's called, rejecting God? Yeah, that's called sin. So we sin and we decide we want to live life our own way. We rebel against God. That's, that was week three. So this was week one and two. This is week three. And then week four, God punished us. God punished us because there's consequences for our rebellion. Okay, But then God sent Jesus to die on the cross to save us because Jesus didn't do this, did he? Jesus didn't cross God off. And so that means he didn't deserve punishment. And so when he was punished on the cross, he was punished for us. And then God, last week we saw, God raised Jesus to life again and made him the king. Now that is a big story. And we've been looking all across the Bible at that story. The question is, what are we going to do with that story? We cook with a wooden spoon, we play with a card game, we read a book. But what do we do with this story, this message from the Bible? What are we supposed to do? Well, this picture here says there's two things that we could do. There's two things we could do. Either we can keep doing this. We can keep living with a crown on our own heads. We can keep rejecting God if we wanted to. We could ignore this message. Does that sound like a good thing to do? I'm seeing a lot of shaking heads. That's right. That's not a good thing to do because what's going to happen if we do that? We get punished. This this still happens, doesn't it? This still happens. So we don't want to do that. The Bible, Jesus, tells us that we should live with Jesus as our king. okay, We should put our trust in Jesus. We should trust that he died for us, that he rose again. We're to trust him and we're to live for him, live with him as our king. Okay, that's what we should do, isn't it? So this big message is telling us, come on, live with Jesus as your king. Trust him as your king. But we've also been seeing, so that's what we should do for ourselves, but we've also been seeing that this is not just the message of the Bible, but this is the message that God has given us to share to others. Okay, So we should trust in Jesus, but we should also be telling others this message and telling them 
But if they want to be forgiven, they need to trust in Jesus. Okay? We have a message to share. Do you remember that? We have a message to share. And the end point of our message is for people to trust in Jesus. And that's what we're hoping and praying for each one of you, that you would be trusting in Jesus and that you would even start telling other people all about Jesus. That's an exciting thing to do. So let's pray and thank God that we can come and trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message that we have to share. We thank you that you've given us this message, that you make us part of your plan. And so I pray for each one of these kids here this morning, that they would be trusting in Jesus, that they would be living for him, and that they would even start sharing this good news with other people. Help them to understand it and help them to share it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's pray as we come uh, to think more on God's word and on how we should be responding to this message. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we ask that we would have soft hearts and eager ears ready to hear from your word. May your spirit be at work in us even now that we would understand and that we would do all as your word calls us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Divorced, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, survived. How many of you know what that's talking about? Anyone? You know? You know? Yeah, what is it? Henry VIII, that's right. Henry VIII, his wives. Help us to remember the outcome of each of his six wives. Henry, we know he was desperate for a male heir and it was only Jane Seymour, his third wife, who died from illness, who managed that feat. None of his other wives managed to bear a son to solidify the Tudor dynasty. Now, Henry wasn't expected to be king. It was his older brother, Arthur, who was to be king, but he died from illness six months or so after he married uh, Catherine of Aragon, daughter of the powerful king and queen of Spain. Now that story in itself is interesting, and Catherine ended up being Henry's first wife, which caused a dilemma for the Pope a few years later when Henry asked for an annulment. One of the challenges when we look at history, is the question, so what? What am I meant to do with this information? Why is it important? Is it important? Does it impact my life? Does it change anything? To be honest, you probably could have gone your whole life without hearing that little rhyme and knowing the outcome of Henry's wives doesn't really matter to your everyday life, does it? For the last two months, we've seen that we have a message to share. But so far, all of the six elements that we've looked at have been events in the past. God made the world, he made us in his image, we've all rebelled against him. He sent Jesus to die to save us, he raised Jesus to life as a living king and saviour who will one day return. 
We have a message to share. All of those elements are part of our message. And our message is mainly about what God has done to save us from the coming judgment. But our message also includes a call to respond rightly to what God has done. Otherwise, we may as well just be talking about Henry VIII with no practical impact on our lives. The final part of our message is turn to the Lord. That's the gospel's call and it's our call to others. And that involves two related responses, which will be our first two headings, which you can see on uh, your outline on the back of your pew sheet. Faith and repentance. And then our final heading is what we should be doing as we call them to respond. We should be praying for God to save. Faith, repentance, praying for God to save. Those are our three headings as we consider the gospel's call, turn to the Lord. So let's turn to our first heading, our first response that we're calling people to, faith. Now there are some people who don't think that this response is even necessary. They think that Jesus' blood is universally applied, that everyone benefits from his death. These people are called universalists. And ironically, these people who think that Jesus saves everyone ignore Jesus' own words in the Bible's most famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is why Paul is so thankful in 1 Thessalonians for their faith. Because like he says to the Ephesians, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's by God's grace, his kindness in having Jesus die in our place that we're saved, but only if we believe. Now some people mock the idea of faith. They say that it's taking a blind leap. It's believing in something despite the evidence against it. But that's just not true. They've made up that definition. Faith today has become a religious word, but it wasn't originally. It wasn't a religious word when the Bible was originally written. You see, every person exercises faith every day. When you get in your car, you are believing, you are trusting that it won't explode. When I eat dinner, I am trusting that Beck has not laced it with poisoned mushrooms. When you sit down, You are trusting that whatever you're sitting on won't collapse. Now, sometimes your trust is well-placed. At other times, it's not. But we all exercise faith every day. Without faith, it's impossible to live. In the Bible, you could go through it and you could replace every time faith comes up with the word believe or trust 
And it would be perfectly fine, perfectly legitimate to do that. But what does faith look like? See, there are three elements to genuine faith in Jesus which saves you. The first element is knowledge. If you're going to believe Jesus died to save you, then you need to know that claim, that story. That's why Paul went on his missionary journeys. It's why he came to the Thessalonians. See, they hadn't heard of Jesus yet. They hadn't heard of what he'd done at the cross. And so without that knowledge, they couldn't have faith, and so they couldn't be saved. There are many people in Australia who don't actually know the gospel. It seems strange to us, doesn't it? But they don't actually know the gospel. They've, they've heard the name Jesus, most of them. Maybe they know a bit about Christmas and a bit about Easter. They don't really know. They don't know what it achieved. They don't actually know how to be saved. First, knowledge. Second, there's assent. You assent, you acknowledge that it's true. Hebrews 11.6 says, Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's a tragedy that so many, so many have heard the truth of Jesus and have even grown up in the church. But they reject it. They reject the message. This is why, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, we persuade others. To persuade others to believe it's true, we need to know their objections, don't we? Do they not think that the Bible is reliable? Have they seen hypocrisy in the church? Does Jesus seem irrelevant? This is why our conversations with uh, loved ones about these things are so important. If they don't believe it's true, why not? But knowledge and assent, they're, they're not enough. If this is as far as you go, well, then you're no better than the demons, James says. No, the third element is vital. The third element, wholehearted submission. Where your life is now oriented around this new, incredible reality. Jesus died for my sin and rose as my king. This wholehearted submission will show itself in the way we live. We're not going to continue a life of rebellion against God. No, we'll want to obey him. We'll want to hear our king speak to us as we read his word. We will want to speak to our king, sharing our, our thoughts, our fears, our desires, expressing our wonder and our praise. It means we will gather regularly with his people to hear him speak to all of us and to join with God's people in prayer and praise. Paul thanks God for the Thessalonians' work of faith. He says people everywhere are talking about the Thessalonians' faith because it's changed them. See, this will change 
how we use our money. Jesus said, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. What would your bank balance say about where your heart is? Are you generous, giving to gospel causes, to other uh, social causes? Or is it all spent on yourself, on your own desires, on trivial things? It's a tragedy to come across people, even those who have grown up in the church, who have Christian family, who say they believe, but they actually look no different to the world around them. And they think that they're safe because they used to be in the church, they grew up in the church and they used to be involved in it. Faith is a way of life. It's an allegiance to the one who died and rose again for us. It's taking the crown off of our heads and bowing the knee to him. And we don't just do this at one significant point in our lives, it's for all of our lives, every moment, that is what we are doing. The gospel calls us, turn to the Lord, have faith. We turn to the, to the Lord in faith, and the other side of the coin, that same coin, is repentance. We see both faith and repentance in action in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9. It says, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God, faith, from idols, repentance, to serve the living and true God. Now, calling people to repent is hard in our culture. Because today, people expect God to accommodate them to let them stay as they are. It's unloving, they think, for God to expect them to change. Why is that? Why are we as a culture so unwilling uh, to listen when we're called to change? Well, it's because of our idolatry. When we think of idolatry, we tend to think of those little statues with incense that you might see at the Indian or, or at the Thai restaurant a physical object that people bow down to and offer offerings to. Before school most mornings, uh, my family are reading through 1 Samuel. And recently we read the story of the Philistines capturing, defeating Israel, capturing the Ark of God and bringing the Ark into the temple of Dagon, their God. It's a great story because each night the statue of Dagon in the temple falls down before the ark and even the head and the arms break off. But those statues aren't the only type of idolatry because we're all guilty of idolatry. Because an idol is anything that you love more than God. Anything that takes his place as supreme. It's what you live for. Because how are we supposed to love God? with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, aren't we? And none of us do that. We all replace God with something. Something else is put on the throne of our life, on the throne of our heart. And that idolatry is the source of every act of rebellion against God. And ultimately, 21st century Australians 
put themselves on the throne. Everything we do is driven by our desire to feel happy and fulfilled. If it makes you feel bad, it's to be avoided. Which is why the call to repentance is considered blasphemy by the people around us. Because God isn't as precious about our feelings as we are. He wants us to see how sinful we are. He wants us to see that the river that we're having a grand time in is actually full of crocodiles and is headed towards a massive waterfall with jagged rocks down the bottom, which, were, uh, which is going to lead to our death. God loves us too much to leave us in that danger. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, Jesus said. Jesus came to save us from God's judgment. He suffered the death we deserved. He's been raised to life as the eternal king. But we can't be part of his kingdom if we continue to rebel against him. We're never going to be perfect in this life, but we should want to be. We should long to be. That's part of our hope, that one day we will be perfect and holy like Jesus is. And we should be spending every moment striving to be like him now because we're so thankful. Thankful that his blood has washed us clean of our sin and has has brought us into a relationship of love and peace with God, that he has adopted us as his own. Now, if if we believe, if we have repented, we, we are part of his household, his kingdom. And so we should act like it. It's not good enough to just feel bad about our sin. We also need to turn away from our sin. Like the Thessalonians, we turn to God, away from idols. And like faith is a continuous response and every moment response required every day, so is repentance. Every morning we are to wake up praying that God would give us eyes to see our sin so that we're not blind to it. That we would hate our sin and not love it. To turn, uh, to, to give us the strength and the ability to turn from our sin and not wallow in it. But it's not that stopping bad behaviour is enough either. See, the wife beater isn't doing enough if he stops hitting his wife. That's important, obviously, but it's not enough. He has to actively love his wife and be gentle with her, go from beating her to gentleness. Where to replace ungodly behaviour and thoughts and attitudes with godly behaviour, godly thoughts, godly attitudes. God's not content with the externals of us. He wants the internals to be changed. Paul says in Colossians that we're to put off the old self and put on the new. Replace sin with godliness. Replace porn with praying for those who are producing the porn. Replace selfishness with generosity. Anger with gentleness. 
Repentance is a 180 degree turn to God from idols. Every day we are to throw ourselves off of the throne of our own lives and cast our crowns at the feet of the one who is worthy to rule over us. The gospel calls us to turn to the Lord and that's the message that we are to share with those we love. Turn to the Lord. Have faith. Believe Jesus died to save and rose as Lord. Repent from sin. Turn from them and live for him, not yourself. That is our message. That is our call. That's the response that we want to see. But what's the response we'll get? Just imagine if, after this morning's service, we all decided to take a trip to the funeral director's. And let's imagine that we, we entered that place and, and we shared this message with the corpses there. We told them of God and of sin, Jesus' death and resurrection, and, and we urged these corpses, turn to the Lord. We pleaded with them, have faith, repent, turn to God from idols. What would happen? We would be left with dead bodies in front of us. Dead bodies who aren't doing anything, who aren't putting their faith in anything and aren't turning to God. If these dead bodies are to believe and repent, they first need to be made alive. God needs to act so that these dead bodies can respond to our message. God needs to raise the dead. Which is exactly why in our third heading we should be praying for God to save. Paul tells the Ephesians that they were dead in their trespasses and sins. Ezekiel said that uh, before God saves us, we have a heart of stone, unable and unwilling to hear and believe. But then Ephesians 2 says God made them alive with Christ and they were saved by grace through faith and that that faith is a gift from God. Just like God opened Lydia's heart in Acts 16. Like he was adding to the church all through Acts, God took the hearts of stone and gave them a heart of flesh. Paul thanks God for the Thessalonians' faith, remember, because it was God who gave them that faith, who gave them a heart to believe, and so he could thank God for it. They truly did believe, and they were able to, because of God's work in them. God gives faith, he, he opens hearts, and he grants repentance. He enables repentance, like the Jews say when uh, the Gentile Cornelius came to faith. See, salvation is God's work from start to finish. He sent Jesus to pay for our sin. He gives us a new heart so we can repent and believe. He raises spiritually dead people to life so that we can respond to the preaching of the gospel. And given that reality, what should we do as we share this message as we remember, we have a message to share. What should we do? 
Well, we should be praying for God to save. Because unless God's Spirit is at work, our words are useless. We are speaking to dead people and they need God's Spirit to make them alive before they can hear and believe and repent. Unless the Spirit works in them, they will hear a false version of Christianity. They will think that they'll be saved if they try just that little bit harder to be good. See, they'll put the cart before the horse, thinking that their good works earn their salvation instead of being the response to salvation received through Jesus. Or they'll think Jesus is a myth. They'll think he didn't rise. That they're not really that bad, and God wouldn't dream of judging them. See, we need to pray. Before we speak, during, and after. Pray that God would save, that they would turn to the Lord even while we're speaking. Are you praying? Are you desperate for those you love to to believe, to repent? Why not make a commitment right now that you would pray every day? Set an alarm to remind yourself. Choose one person, choose two, and commit to praying for them for one minute each day. Pray that they would turn to the Lord that very day. Remind God that he can do far more abundantly than we could ask or think. And So plead with God for them, because unless he acts, there are no words of yours or anyone's which will be good enough, which will be persuasive enough to convince them to turn to the Lord. This is our seventh and last week thinking about Christianity 101, an introduction to the core elements of Christianity. And we've been remembering that we have a message to share. And our message is the basic storyline of the Bible. First, God is the loving maker and ruler of the world. Second, God made humanity in his image. Third, we've all rebelled against God's loving rule. Fourth, God justly judges our rebellion. Fifth, Jesus' death reconciles us to God. Sixth, Jesus reigns as a living Saviour and King. And as we share this message, we remember that this isn't like the story of Henry VIII or anything else in, in history which doesn't actually have any relevance to us. No obvious impact. This, this is a message, a story, which calls for a response. We exist as a church to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus, which means as we share this message with people, we are calling them to turn to the Lord. Just like we have turned to the Lord, we want them to turn to the Lord in faith and repentance because we know that there's no other way to be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. There is no other name given to men under heaven by which men may be saved. 
Are you ready to share this gospel? To join in the mission? To see people saved? Yes, unless God gives us uh, gives a new heart to the people we're speaking to, our words will be useless. But we are called to speak. We call people to turn to the Lord who died and rose again. Let's share that message and let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you for this message. We thank you for your kindness in revealing it to us. We thank you for opening our hearts that we would believe it. Our God, we pray even now if there's someone here who doesn't uh, believe this message, that they would right now. Lord, that your spirit would be at work in them right now, giving them faith, granting them repentance. We pray that your spirit would be at work in all of us, giving us boldness to share this message. And Lord, may we see fruit from our labour. May we see people turning to Jesus as Lord and King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.